morning. Children, you may go to children's church. Practice. They're going to practice. They got stuff to do next week too, so they got to practice. I was just noticing in the bulletin there was a praise report. Anyone knows the praise report on the bottom of the bulletin? Isn't that wonderful? It says the loan to the cemetery fund has been paid in full. Hallelujah. Big check came in for that, but folks, you're so faithful. You're so good. You're so good. You're so faithful. You're so good. They didn't think I pushed my button. I knew I pushed my button. Well, the memory's not that good, but I remember from there to there. I, I pushed that button. Amen. But we want to give God praise for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And what that was, for those that don't know, we had a line of credit that we took from the bank as we finished up our beautiful sanctuary. And then we were paying it off, and we got to about 50 grand or how, many, how much money it was. And we said, enough of paying the bank. We got money in our own accounts. We have a cemetery account. We got different accounts. Let's just borrow from ourselves. That way we just pay ourselves back. And we did that, but we still wanted to pay back what we borrowed from ourselves just, you know, to, to keep things going. And that's what we've done. And now it's all paid off and everything's paid off. And God be the glory. And um, Hallelujah. Amen. Someone says, how, how do you build this building, you know, um, without any debt? I said, well, you've got, you've got a good God and faithful people. That's what the key. You've got a, a good God, but you've got faithful people. The people give. The faith, pe- people love the Lord. And they give sacrificially. They give consistently. And they're not a trick to think like that. God is good. Amen? Amen. And when you get His faithful people that just... And we got some wonderful faithful people who give constantly, who give generously, who give on the mountaintop and in the valley. And when you've got a wonderful group of people like that then there's no limit. As God gives you a project, you can do it, and you can do it well. But if God be for you. And so again, I want to thank everyone that gave extra um, to see that that was paid off. And to God be the glory, but also give honor to honor is due. You are such a wonderful and giving people. You are so faithful in your giving. I mean, I, I see what comes in. I mean... Uh, folks, you are so you you so, you were trained right somewhere along the line. I mean, man, you tithe off. Uh, you found a twenty dollar bill on the street. You tithe off it. I mean, I mean, you're tithing off retirement. You're tithing off of gifts from great great uncle Elmo that you didn't even know you were in his will. I mean, but I just mean you are faithful to give and. And when God's people are faithful to do their part, then God adds the extra. You know what I mean? When God starts smiling upon a people, talk about compound interest. There's nothing like the Lord's compound interest. Amen? And so again, I just want to thank everyone. And it's a beautiful thing. And again, you all are wonderful. God bless you. If you would now, John 11. Let's go to John 11 and um, look at the miracle and the message of Lazarus. The miracle and the message of, of, of Lazarus. Hallelujah. Oh, Lazarus. Isn't it good to know we serve the one that is the destroyer of death? Amen. He has defeated death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. We sing because he lives. Amen. (laughs) Well, thank God he lives. He lives. He lives. This is going to be a preview of next week. So John 11 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. 
He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Verse 5 says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Have you ever been there? Someone says, I'm there right now. You came to the right service. Verse 7, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you want to go back there? And Jesus said, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. And it is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Verse 11, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples didn't quite get it. And they said, Lord, if he sleeps, that means he's getting better. He's going to recuperate. I could hear him saying, oh, we're tired too, man. The way you're driving us here, I mean, Lord. But they didn't get what Jesus meant. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he finally told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that you may believe. But let us go to him. Wow. John records several miracles before the crucifixion. And they each have significance. They, they have a sermon to them. And the raising of Lazarus is the last and the greatest. For in this miracle... Jesus reveals himself as the destroyer of death. Death being mankind's last and greatest enemy. If indeed miracles are messages, if they have a sign and a significance to them, then this one expresses a few different things to us. It communicates and illuminates um, a few precious truths. It speaks of a spiritual truth, of course, that as Jesus raised Lazarus, the same way the power of Jesus Christ brings life to those that are dead in transgressions and sins. It speaks of how those that were dead heard the word of the Lord. And in their deadness of sin, they came alive unto God and they responded to the good news and the call of Christ. It's a picture of salvation. For the Bible says we we weren't good people that went astray. We were dead people that needed life and resurrection. We were lost in our sin. But then the word of the Lord found us. And the message of God's goodness and grace came to us. And we awakened. And our eyes were opened. And we responded. And we stand here today saved by the blood of Jesus. But also this miracle is really a physical sign because it really happened. Four days in the grave and it demonstrates the power of Christ. Confirming He was who He said He was. It was another seal and approval of His deity and of His sovereignty. And of course it speaks to us about a future promise. The raising of Lazarus reveals God's ultimate plan. To call us out of death and bring us into eternal and everlasting life with Him. You know, I, I love the story uh, of Winston Churchill. He's one of my favorites. And um, we've told this story before, but by the time he died at about age 90, he had carefully arranged his own funeral service. It was to take place at St. Paul's Cathedral there in London. It was to be the Anglican liturgy and 
the stately hymns of the church, and it was really a beautiful um, um, ceremony. But a man known for his profound messages, Churchill also arranged for two buglers to be perched high on opposite sides of the cathedral dome. And the first bugler, he, he played taps, the universal melody signaling the end of the day, the end of the day. But then, after an extended pause, the second, way on the other side, he played Reveille, which is the bugle called that ushers in a brand new day. You see, without even saying a word, Churchill was reminding those who had come to honor him that while death means good night on earth, it proclaims good morning in heaven. <laughs> in the presence of our Lord. And this is the hope that we have. This is the hope of the cross and the resurrection and the message of Christianity that death is man's last enemy, but Jesus Christ has defeated this terrible enemy totally and completely and permanently. Paul was to write in 1 Corinthians that if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're really a pathetic group because this life is so short, this life is merely a vapor, but the hope we have in Christ is more than just our time allotted here on earth. This hope is in a real heaven. It's in an everlasting, eternal life. Jesus has defeated death and we that walk with Him have defeated death also. And that's where our hope lies, in a real heaven, in a genuine eternal life that we will be with our Lord forever. Here's our simple outline. This is the message of Lazarus, his miracle and his message. And we outline it like this. A strange response to death. A strange response to death. Secondly, a sorrowful response to death. And then thirdly, a supernatural response to death. A strange response to death. We see in these first four verses how it says, let me just drop down to verse 2. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, he was sick unto death, he was going down fast, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's Son would be glorified in it. We notice, number one, the, the purpose of Jesus. The purpose. You have to admit, now if you don't know the story, and the first time you, you're reading this, His response to the news of Lazarus' um, serious illness is a bit unusual. I mean, He says it's for the glory of God, but then He just kind of stops there. Not, let's go now and I'll heal him, or I'll send the Word, or just believe. And it's it just kind of, what do you, Lord... But God was to get glory out of this. He was to get glory out of this in situations that we might not recognize with just a skimming. For example, the miracle would certainly glorify God. And we pray, God, give us more mighty miracles that the world might believe and see your power demonstrated in the earth. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And of course, that would bring much glory to God. And we have to remember in our lives, when we're going through the trial, Jesus knows what He's going to do. And Jesus is control of our situation. And in the end, there will be glory for God. So let's just trust Him and believe Him and expect Him to work in His good and perfect way. But the miracle, of course, would bring glory to God. But Lazarus would also 
bring glory to God in, in a spiritual sense. Let's pray for more Lazarus to be raised up. More lives to be radically saved. More lives that are lost to truly come to know Christ that the whole world might see Jesus Christ has transferred that individual. Though we don't have any words that Lazarus ever spoke, there's nothing in the Bible that quotes him, but we do know his life became a walking testimony of the power of Jesus Christ. God was greatly glorified by the one who had received his power and was transformed and changed. And you know, when people see the power of God at work in our lives, when people see the resurrection power of Jesus Christ transforming us, that's a testimony to God. That should bring much glory and honor to God. Jesus said this would be for the glory of God. And certainly the miracle glorified God and Lazarus glorified God. But the disciples would glorify God in this. In fact, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus says to them, in fact, he's dead, he's not asleep, and I'm glad I wasn't there. So that you might believe. He says to his disciples, so you can get a chance to see and to witness personally my power and my glory in a way you never had before. So that you'll have an experience with me that will cause your faith to be stronger and your love and trust in me to grow deeper than it's ever been before. I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad that this thing is stretching you because you're going to see my glory in the end. You're going to see me come through if you'll just hang on there. And God takes you and I through delays and difficulties in order to reveal Himself to us in new ways and give us a greater measure of faith and trust and intimacy in Him. Can you say amen? The glory, miracle would glorify God. Lazarus glorify God. The disciples, Lazarus' friends would glorify God. There's a ripple effect when the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is at work. Lazarus received a miracle. He was revived. But then his family and his friends were affected by it. His community was influenced by it. There was a real change in, in his life. But it didn't just stay within him. The ripple effects of a man or woman who truly meets Jesus Christ will affect their home, will affect their workplace, will affect those around him. When something genuine happens in the heart of a man where they become a new creature in Christ, it is not just contained within a private religion. The way they walk and the way they talk and the way they now live has a ripple effect that affects their sons and their daughters and their co-workers and the world all around them. Glory flows from the individual who has made at Christ personally and knows the resurrection of power of Jesus Christ intimately. And I'll tell you, not long after this, the cross, the cross would glorify God. You see, Jesus sometimes referred to the cross as his glorification. In Lazarus' miracle, in Jesus' death, and ultimately resurrection, they're connected. Because right after this miracle, the enemies of God are so enraged. They want to take out Lazarus. You can read that later on. They want to take him out. But they begin to accelerate their efforts to crucify Christ. This miracle, the crowds were praising him. The news of what he was doing was spreading. And the religious leaders saw that as such a threat that this miracle actually motivated them to accelerate their efforts to make the Son of God, take the Son of God to the cruel, rugged cross. 
that motivated them to crucify God's Son. A strange response. The purpose of Christ is to glorify God and to destroy death ultimately and completely. And the purpose of God today is that He might be glorified in your life and in my life. And if we'll walk with Him, trusting Him, believing Him, leaning on Him even when we can't understand it and we don't know which way is left or which way is right, in the end, He will be glorified. In the end, we will be exalted by His grace and His mercy. Come on, say Amen. The purpose of Jesus, but then the postponement of Jesus. And if you would, look at at, at verses um, 5 and 6 with me. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Yet when He heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where He was two more days. A day to get to Jesus, and He dies then. Jesus waits two days. Another day to get there, four days. Why the wait, Lord? Why the wait? The delays of God are often the dealings of God that can take the faithful son or daughter of God to a deeper place in God than they've ever dreamed. The Scripture is clear here that they love Jesus and Jesus loved them. Those two things cannot exempt us from the trials and the tests and the sorrows of life. But our little, our few verses here, they love Jesus. And Jesus loved them. Jesus started out by saying something a bit unusual, and now He continues by doing something a bit unusual. He postpones His visit for two whole days. He stays where He is and He doesn't move. We understand Jesus is in control, that even in delay, He's working all things for the good. Things will be beneficial. Somewhere we'll understand this. See, God's love for us is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. Say that again. God's love for us is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. Romans 8 tells us clearly that nothing can separate us from the love of God, but, but it also implies within that that God's love doesn't, doesn't separate us, exempt us from the trials and the sorrows and the storms and the heartaches. So verses 5 and 6, He loved them, yet He delayed in coming to help them. We must remember, His delays are delays of love. His delays are never delays of indifference or preoccupation. It's impossible for the one that loves us with an everlasting love, for the one who's touched with the feelings of our infirmities, for the one that, that whose heart grieves when we grieve. It's impossible for Him whose compassions are new every morning to ever be indifferent concerning His own. No, no, no. His delays are purposeful. His love has a purpose to it. And in this story, we see the end and we see how it works out and we can read it backwards and forwards and step back. And it's clear in this story to see the purpose and the reason for Jesus' delay. He's arranging and He's orchestrating an even greater demonstration of His power and His love. And sometimes His delays... Do something greater than expected. Deeper, more meaningful, hidden things. Obviously, though, in our lives, we don't get to know how everything will work out now or then. What God will ultimately accomplish. And this is why we have to walk by faith, because we don't understand it all now. But we choose, as those that know God and love God, to trust Him. 
to believe in the one that loved us and died for us, to put our confidence in the one that has promised to never leave us or forsake us, to always take care of us. He said he'd work it all for good. We have to believe that. We know ultimately by faith every delay and every discouragement and every trial. We know ultimately God will work things out. But now, presently, often these things are hidden from us. And often these things are hard for us to, to, to grasp and somehow to, 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 to deal with. But we must believe and we must trust And as Christians, we must live with our hope of heaven as a secure anchor to the soul. Our hope in heaven that even though I don't understand Him, I keep trusting Him. And I can't see how He can work anything out here, but I believe. And I expect that He will take me forward in His name. And He will keep me and He will carry me. And the doubt will not win and the discouragement will not thrive. But His amazing grace that began His good work in me will take me on home as I keep looking and trusting and leaning on those arms. When God delays, I must say, I mean, people of faith really have no choice but to say, Lord, we love You. And we will trust You through the tears and even through the confusion. We will stay completely convinced of Your love for us and Your control over our lives and over our destinies. And while we wait, many things that if we allow God to, He'll work in the waiting. He'll fine-tune. He'll enrich us in the waiting. Number one, let's just notice two things. The weight can allow me to clarify, clarify, reassess, sometimes rearrange what's really important. Crisis tends to do that. Crisis tends to make a step back and measure everything afresh to make sure, to examine what I really believe and value and allow my will Many times the delay allows God time to mold and reshape and readjust my will to be conformed to His. In the delay, God can help us to clarify and reassess what do I really believe? What do I really value? And will I practice what I've been preaching? Delays can help us to clarify. But delays can also help us to confirm and deepen and strengthen our faith. You know, Jesus speaks about a parable. We call it the parable of the sower and the seed in the Gospels. It's in the Gospels, but Mark 4 kind of says it like this. Um, Jesus said there's a certain person that received the Bible, received the Gospel, received the Word of the Lord, and they loved it. The good news of forgiveness and salvation and acceptance from God. And it thrilled their soul. And it excited them. And they were so happy. But, but then the testings of life came. And the test came and that person fell away. Because they didn't have any roots. Meaning they had no real spiritual depth. Their commitment was shallow and not rich and deep, able to handle things. And the same test that could have strengthened them actually exposed them. But for you and I, who love the Lord sincerely, have made up our minds we're going to serve Jesus no matter what, no turning back. 
For us that will say Jesus will praise you through the hard times, will trust you in the grieving times, we will not turn back, nor will we let go of our good confession. For those that choose to walk by faith, the times of delay, the times of crisis can stretch and deepen our faith to such a degree. Those, those that say, I'm going to reject the lies of the devil to give up on God. I'm going to reject and ignore the temptations of my emotions to give in to fear and to give in to anger. And I'm going to choose to trust my God and lean on the everlasting arms of my God and endure and expect and believe He will bring me through this. He will hold me in the midst of this. He will carry me when I can't carry myself. And my friend, when you make the choice to trust Him in the delays, it will settle, it will deepen, it will Establish your faith like few other things can. If you ever see someone with real strong faith, it didn't get there because they avoided trials. It's there because they've gone through their share of trials. Great triumphs come from great trials. Great testimonies come out of great tests. And if you see a man or a woman of God and walking with God 50, 60 years and they're still in love with Jesus, they're still faithful to the how. They're not just empty talk, but they're genuine. I can tell you, take it to the bank. They've gone through their fair shares of delays and crisis, but they made up their minds somewhere along the road. Regardless of what happens, Jesus, we will praise You. Jesus, we will love You. Jesus, we will serve You. And in that, their God is well pleased with them. He loves us. We love Him. Yet, He delays sometimes and seems to deny our requests sometimes. Yet, we refuse to doubt Him or to deny Him. Dr. Jeremiah writes, and I think he was quoting someone else, he writes, we need to learn how to interpret circumstances by the love of Christ and not interpret the love of Christ by circumstances. Let me read that again. We need to learn how to interpret circumstances by the love of Christ and not interpret the love of Christ by circumstances. The miracle and the message of Lazarus. A strange response to his death. The purpose of Jesus was to bring glory to the Father, to destroy the works of the enemy. The postponement of Jesus was the delay of love. It was a love that had purpose. And then the pronouncement of Jesus. Verses 7-16, through 16, and I'll just sum it up for you. Jesus says to His men, He's asleep, I'm going to wake Him up. He's dead, but I am the resurrection and the life. And in fact, I'm glad I wasn't there. For your sake, I'm glad. That you might see and you might witness and you might experience something in your spiritual walk that you've never experienced before. And when you see your God work in that situation, when you see God's mighty arm come to pass and fulfill His promise in that situation, you're going to trust God like you've never trusted Him before. You're going to testify like you never testified before. He says, I was glad! Because sometimes it takes certain settings to put you in a place of deeper growing and maturity.
maturing and advancing in God. But if you'll trust me when I lead you, even down the pathways that seem scary and frightening, but you'll keep leaning on the everlasting arms. You'll watch me come through and you'll watch what I do in you. And you'll see my hand at work in your life and your faith will grow, your compassion will grow, and your understanding of the wills and ways of your Father will grow. Somebody say Amen. Strange response, but then a sorrowful response to death. The sorrow of both the sisters and the Savior. Verses 17 through 31. We can just summarize. We don't have time to go deep here, but death, death. Even for the victorious believer, even the victorious death of a believer bring sorrow to those that are left behind. It's in the story. It's in the story. Time won't allow us to expound on these verses, but Jesus wept and Jesus groaned. If you're not familiar with this story, read John 11. Read it a few times this week. Jesus wept and Jesus groaned. He he certainly understands your weeping. And your heartache. And my groaning. And the comforting power of His Holy Spirit. And the certain promises in His Word are always available and they're presently available for those that would reach out to them. To those that would embrace them by faith. What you notice in this section of verses, number one, He notices our tears. The Bible says as Jesus got her, he saw them weeping. He saw the women weeping. And he began groaning. I want you to recognize that he notices our tears. That Jesus is not distant. He is not ignorant concerning the things that are causing you to groan and causing you to weep. He notices our tears. He saw their tears. Then the Bible says that that same verse right after it. And Jesus began to groan and be troubled. He notices our tears and then he's touched by those tears. He doesn't just see what we go through. He has compassion towards us when we're going through it. The Bible says he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's why God came to be a man that he could identify with us in all ways. So we have someone we can talk to that really does understand the human dilemma. We look at this story, if we had time, we see how he notices he saw them weeping. And then he groaned. And he was troubled. He notices our tears. He's touched by our tears. He remembers our tears. Psalmist says he keeps them in a bottle. He remembers our tears. For though by the grace of God, God gives us a certain measure of healing as we walk through this life, yet everyone has scars and everyone has disappointments. And God is not some computer that has forgotten things or just remembers things like a computer would. But He remembers. The Bible says He keeps our tears in a bottle. And that means He he, he knows the scars in your life. He knows what you've gone through. And that's why He relates to us, each one of us, in a perfect way, in a personal way, in a completely understanding way like no one else can. He notices our tears. He's touched by our tears. He remembers our tears. And then He acts to remove our tears. 
I want you to look at Isaiah 25, verses 7 and 8. Isaiah 25, verses 7 and 8. What a powerful prophetic verse from the prophet Isaiah speaking of this day, speaking of the day to come when He'll wipe away all our tears. The prophet said, On this mountain He will, be, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. Speaking of death, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Ah, Lazarus is a picture of what's coming next week. It's a picture finally when he dies and rises again. Where he's swallowing up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. And he will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Hallelujah. Talking about the sorrowful response to death. Not only did the, the ladies weep, not only did their friends weep, but when Jesus saw them, He wept. And He joined into their sorrow. And He joins into our sorrows. But He is a compassionate and sympathetic High Priest. And He offers to you and I that know Him and walk with Him two of the most precious healing bombs, healing ointments when we go through the sorrows of life. He gives us, number one, the comfort of His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter who consoles us and, and administers grace to our hearts when we go through such things. But also, the clear, certain, unchangeable promises of God that as we remind ourselves of the truth that we know makes us different than all the world that doesn't know God. John 11, verses 25 and 26. What a precious verse. I am the resurrection and the life. These are the words of Jesus. He looks at them. He says, he's going to rise again. She says, I know I'm the last day. He says, no, 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 no. That's true, but I'm talking about now. The resurrection. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The, the child of God doesn't die. You just change locations. No, no, no. I mean, as quick as you close your eyes here, you open them in glory. There's no putting you on the shelf. There's no purgatory. There's no whatever limbo nonsense. You're going from the moment you beat death open. Hallelujah! Destroyer of death. That's why we're comforted. That's why we have what the world doesn't understand at times. D.L. Moody, that great preacher, towards the end of his days, he would tell people that would gather around him, he said, one day you're going to read in the paper, D.L. Moody of Northfield, Massachusetts is dead. He says, don't you believe it for a minute. For at that very moment, I'll be more alive then than I am now. He says, I've just gone up a bit higher. Going to a place where sin can't touch and death can't taint. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's how it is for the believer. That's why we're going to sing next week, He lives, He lives. We're not just tradition. You know, the whole world's going to talk about it. A lot of them don't even know God. You know that. You come out a lot. You come out of religious establishments. Didn't know Jesus from the statue they bowed to. And they're going to make all this fuss about what they don't know. We know in whom we have believed Him. We've experienced this. We know this is real. We know this is genuine. Hallelujah! Oh, yeah. It's about personally knowing Him and understanding what He's done and who He is and what that means to us. There was a strange response to death in this story. Then there's a sorrowful response as Jesus shows us He does care. And He enters in. And He ministers. And He consoles us. Take your troubles to Jesus. Take your heartaches to Jesus. 
There is a place where you can go. It's called the throne of grace, not of judgment. And you can cast your burdens on Him. And you can pour out your heart to Him. And He'll speak to you, and He'll comfort you, and He'll minister to you. Oh, what a Savior. What a wonderful, compassionate Savior we serve. But after this sorrowful response to death, now there's a supernatural response to death. First of all, you start by seeing the the confusion of the people. I mean, um, there's Levi and Simeon saying, Man, couldn't the one that opened the eyes of the blind stop this? Man, couldn't he have, you know, no, no, couldn't he have... It's in there. They're saying, couldn't he... A lot of confusion going on. A lot of of the peanut gallery was saying, why didn't God do this? And why didn't Jesus do that? And, you know, he's going to call him out. Does he know what he's doing? That guy's dead. I buried... He's dead, man. He should have stuck with those blind eyes. He did all right there. This guy's dead. Then Martha, Lord, Lord, roll away the stone. He He stinketh. King James, thinketh. He'd been in there four days. Lord, and sometimes, Lord, you know what you're doing? Can you imagine that? The one that loved him and he loves them. Now we're saying, Lord, you know what you're doing? Trust me, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. Jesus always knows what he's doing, folks. Jesus always knows what he's doing. You can trust that. Infusion of the people, but then the command of Jesus. What a beautiful thing. He sees their weeping. He groans with them. He says, where have you laid him? They question him. They, they tried, uh, they didn't mean it, but try to distract him. But he just gives the command, roll away the stone. If we want to see God's resurrection power at work in the earth, we've got to make sure we do our part to partner with God and roll away some stones. Certainly the one that is going to call the dead to life could have spoke a word and that stone would have saluted and rolled away. But he's not going to do what we can do, folks. He's not going to do the typical pattern of Scripture. We do our part and then God does His. So he says, number one, roll the stone away. Do your part that I can move in your life. Do your part. And if I see your faithfulness and obedience, then I'll do for you what you can never have dreamed. Then I'll move in your life doing things that no man or no uncle could have done. He says, roll the stone away. And then he speaks forth and calls him by name. Lazarus, come forth. One of the old, old Puritan preachers, 1700s, 1600s, he said, good thing he called him by name. If not, every dead man in every grave would have rose up and said, Here I am, Jesus. Because He is the resurrection and the life. And when He speaks, even death cannot resist Him. And that's what we pray, that when the Gospel is preached, that power comes upon the message that sinners that are dead will come alive. And those that have strayed will return. And those that are slumbering will wake up. And those that are hurting will receive healing. And those that are confused will receive clarity. And those that are downcast will be lifted up by the glory and the lifter. We pray, O God, as Your Word goes forth, let it go forth with much grace and power to resurrect. And I want someone to know this morning, if He was able to resurrect the dead, four days thinketh. Just think what He can do in your situation, in your presence. Problem. He's able. He's able. He's mighty to save and mighty to heal and mighty to restore and mighty to revive. Blessed be His holy name. 
the command of Jesus. Roll the stone away. Did that, Lord. The word goes forth. And you know, back in those days, right? They're not in a coffin. They're like mummies. They, they wound them up, man. And here comes Lazarus. Jesus has another command. We get mad at backsliders, but a lot of times it's the fault of the people sitting in the pews that didn't help them get some grave clothes off. Woo! If I was an evangelist, I'm going to hit you and run, but no, I can't do that. But I think about it. One of the most beautiful ministries is the ministries of helping people get loosed so they can really serve God like God wants them to serve God. Some are so bound and some are so broken and some are so disturbed and discouraged that though they're hearing the voice of God and they're doing their best to answer and respond to the voice of God, there's things in their life that hinder them. There's things in life they can't get rid of on their own. But that's why Jesus didn't just say, roll away the stone. He commanded life. But then even after He commands life, even after He does the work that only He can do, then He reminds us, now there's more for you to do. Now there's more for you to do. Don't just think of it's really God all by itself. No, you call them, you visit them, you pray with them, you stand by them, and then you watch grave clothes, grave clothes, grave clothes. That temper is going to go. That perversion's going to go. That lust is going to go. That lying spirit's going to go. That gossiping, man, it's going to go. That confusion, that abuse, that abandonment, that thing that her father did to her when she was five, go! You might be here with grave clothes on. You love God. You've responded to God. You've heard His voice call you out of darkness, call you out of sin, and you love Him. And you're doing your best to pursue that voice, to respond to that voice. But there's errors in your life that seem to hinder, errors in your life that entangle and trip up and try to hold you back. In the name of the Lord, He wants to set you free. He wants to melt that chain. He wants to heal that error that was broken by abuse, that was broken by rejection, that was broken by abandonment. I want someone to know Jesus. He loves you more, not just to save you, but He wants to make you whole. He wants to minister healing to your heart. He wants to minister peace and grace to your mind and help you to overcome the things that still enslave and still break you down and still accuse you and afflict you. Jesus wants the destroyer of death, desires to touch you with His life and work in your heart a supernatural work. If you'll call on the name of the Lord and just say, Jesus, this area still struggles. This area is still painful. Would you heal me? Would you help me? Would you move in my life? I'll get rid of the stones. I'll get rid of every rock of hindrance. But oh God, I need for you to do what only you can do. Oh God, will you do it? It's not too late to get set free. That's why there's these Bible studies, the men and the women, so people can get grave clothes off. 
If we had it all together, we wouldn't need church. We come here because we don't got it all together. And then there's these little groups where we can be honest and say there's some grave clothes. I still get mad, and sometimes I don't act like a believer. I want, I want, I want that grave clothes and that temper off. Pray with me, guys. Help me, man. Would you believe with me? I want to overcome this. I still have that thing. I, I look at what I shouldn't look at. I'm ashamed to say it. Would you guys pray for me? Would you hold me accountable? I want deliverance in this thing. I, I'm going to humble myself so God can help me. Would you men help me? Get some grave clothes off, you know. Uh, some of you, I've I got a problem with this lady. I, I've been rejected. I, that night, I don't trust. I'm fearful. This isn't of God. I'm so afraid. Uh, lady, would you pray with me? Sister, would you stand with me in prayer? Would you help me to pray through this? Oh, God. Loose him and let him go free. Not only does He want you saved, He wants you whole. He wants you free. He wants you moving in the liberty that Christ, oh, whom the Son sets free. Mm. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Bless His name forevermore. Glory to God. Hallelujah. In the name, oh God, bless Him. In the name of the Lord, my God, my God, my God. My Lord, my Lord. In the name of Jesus, oh God, oh God, oh God. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Hallelujah. Bless him, Lord. Bless him, Lord. Bless him, Lord. Bless him, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, I'm going to try to be dignified this morning. Well, I guess I, guess I, I lost that one. I mean, I lost that battle, didn't I? Hallelujah. I try to get dignified. It don't work. Amen. Should have thrown that off 15 minutes ago. The central message of this remarkable miracle, Jesus, the destroyer of death. There's a spiritual application. Just like He saved us. The Bible says we were dead in our sins. But the word of life and hope, the good news of the gospel came to us and resurrection took place. So if you're here today and you've never received Jesus personally, I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking you what you think about church. If you have not received Jesus personally as your Savior, put your faith in Him that He died for you and He rose again. That you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. You need the Savior to save you. But if you call on Him, He'll work His perfect work in your life like He's done ours. But this story is also historical truth. This really happened. Jesus Christ was demonstrating that His Word could be trusted. That He was who He said He was. Four days in the grave. But one word from Jesus. Death has to loose its hold. And life explodes. And then eternally, as we get to next week and Easter Sunday, etc., when Jesus goes to that cross, He does it as a substitute for me and for you. There's no nation that could put Him on that cross. If He didn't want to go, He went willingly. And He didn't need to go. He had no sin. I had all the sin. I'm the one that needed a sacrifice. But He went for me and He went for you. And he allowed the wrath of a holy God and the judgment of the sin I deserve to be on him. 
But because He was sinless, because He was a perfect sacrifice, after He was in that grave three days, He arose. He destroyed death. He broke the power and dominion of sin over, men, over God's people. And those of us that know the Lord, like He's defeated death, we've defeated death. Like He's triumphed over death's dominion, we, in Christ, have triumphed over death's dominion. 2 Timothy 1.10. Look at this beautiful verse and what it says. 2 Timothy 1.10. What a beautiful verse. I'm going to jump into the middle. It says, The appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. And because of that, John 14 and verse 19, because of that truth, you and I that know the Lord, Jesus said, the world won't see me anymore, but we're not part of this world, are we? We're we're Christians. But you will see me because I live. You shall live also. Hallelujah. Amen. If you're here today and you haven't received Christ, it's not a... It's simple if it's sincere. It's recognizing you're a sinner and need a Savior and Jesus is the only Savior who died for you and He rose again. And that He'll forgive you if you come to Him. And you walk with Him now and serve Him. And you can enjoy His triumph in your life. If you're here today, please do that. If you're here and you're going through what we described earlier as a delay, as a delay, And in this world, sometimes the answer is not yet. We know that. We go through things. That's why the Bible says endure a lot of things. Because we have to go through things. The answer might be not yet. But, but, listen. His grace and His comfort and His strength for you is right now. The answer and the understanding and the how come and the when will it end, that might be not yet. But if you're serving the Lord, the grace and the love and the strength to go through it is right now. If you'll just call on Him and just lean on Him and just trust in Him. We're going to close. You need a touch from God. That same resurrection power is flowing in the earth today. That same Jesus is in the midst of us with all power and authority. And He's willing to touch you. If you need a touch from God, as we say our last prayer and begin to sing our last song, I encourage you to come down to the altar let God touch you. If you're going through a season and you're going through a delay, and you're going through a time of that crisis, even if you want to stay in your seat, just say, Lord, give me fresh grace. I understand this is probably something I'm going to have to walk out. But I don't have to walk it out alone. I don't have to walk it out on my own strength. I want to walk it out with Your grace. Give me fresh grace so I can keep walking in a way that pleases and honors your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And listen, as we we sing this last song, folks, as Christians, let's just praise the Lord for the eternal life He's given us. We think about the blessedness we have as believers. Those that have gone before us, they're not lost. We know where they're at. They're in the presence of the Lord. They've already enjoyed this great salvation and resurrection we talk of. We're coming. But until then, we can praise Him now for what we know He has before. Amen?
Stand with me, please. Let us pray. Oh, God is good. God is so good. Please, folks, if you need prayer, don't, don't, don't run. Make it. Oh, let God touch you. 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 Let God work. Jesus is alive and He loves you. And He sees the tears and He wants to minister grace to the heart and touch you in the areas that you are feeling weak and wounded. And oh, friend, He sees your tears. He's aware of your wounds and He's not disinterested. He's not far away. He yearns to touch you. He yearns to comfort you. He yearns to minister His healing grace to you. Come near. Draw near. Come to Jesus. Tell Him, Lord. This is where I tell Him, Lord. Call on Him. Cry out to Him. I lift up my voice. He hears me and He answers me. Father, we love You. We thank You for the great salvation we have. We thank You for the resurrection. We thank You for eternal life. We thank You, Jesus, that all power and authority in heaven and earth is Yours. And that You love us and You care for us. And You have power to heal us. And You have power to mend us. And You have power... To bring us through every delay and every test of faith. Thank you, Lord, that in the delays, your power gives us the strength and comfort to endure. And I pray, dear God, that your power would flow in this service. Lord Jesus, as men and women respond, whether they come to the altar or just sit in their seats and call on you, oh God, as your people respond, let your power flow. Fill the thirsty. Fill the weary. Make yourself known to those that are really wondering. And really questioning to those that need what only you can give. Oh God, we roll away every stone. And we pray, oh God, let your voice of resurrection and power go forth like a mighty trumpet. And let those that are hurting receive divine life. Father, in the name of Jesus, fill this altar with divine power and presence. Wipe away the tears. Minister a fresh measure of your grace to every heart. And bring people unto yourself. And for those of us that are going to praise you, Lord, we thank you that because you live, we shall live also. We thank you that you have defeated death, hell, and the grave. And therefore, we know to be absent from this body means that we're going to be present with you. And for that, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, if you need a touch from God, respond, respond, and let God do what only God can do.